I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Right. Hey, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Today, we are talking a little bit about activism, which I'm really excited about. I think it's something that is really important to talk to kids about, get kids involved with. And we often think of it as like such an, a, like an adult thing, but kids need to know what's going on in the world and uh, get involved. So yeah, before I get started, I want to acknowledge that the land where I record is situated within Jojage, which is the traditional unsurrendered territory of the Ganyugehaga First Nations. And I really encourage you to just like take a few moments. Um, you know, it takes a few seconds to just like go online and learn about the land that you live on and just, you know, take a look at the relationship you have with the indigenous communities around you. I just want to mention that there's a really awesome website that you can do this on, which is called native-land.ca. And it'll tell you sort of which indigenous lands you reside on and can, and gives you uh, information about those peoples and um, stuff like that. It also has other really great resources. So definitely check that out. So I'm going to invite my uh, my first guest today to introduce themselves. So we're just going to do name, pronouns, where you're from, your relationship with kids, and your relationship with the theme. My name's Maura Hinderer. I use she, her pronouns. I'm in Providence, Rhode Island today. My relationship with the theme is you know, various local activism I've been involved with for the past five or six years, mm-hmm. um, sometimes with my child, June, who is now 10, but uh, was four or five when we started getting out there. That's awesome. I'm excited to hear more about that. Before we kind of jump into the topic, I always uh, start the top of the episode by asking my guests the same question, uh, because we talk a lot about, you know, questions that kids ask us that kind of like catch us off guard or we aren't prepared to answer. And I'm curious if there's ever been a time where uh, your own child or another child has asked you a question that kind of caught you off guard. Yeah, lots. (laughs) (laughs) One of the first actions that Junie and I participated in was right after the Orlando murders. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was right before Pride was happening here in Providence. And so there was a a vigil and Mm -hmm. the promoters of Pride promised the community that it would be the most heavily policed Pride in history. And that was problematic And that was the same year that a local youth group called PRISM or Providence Youth Student Movement Mm -hmm. um, was being honored at Pride. Um, Mm. PRISM is um, a group made up maybe primarily of Southeast Asian youth, but Mm. also Black and Brown youth. And they have been involved in a lot of police accountability and transparency Mm. organizing. Um, They were organizing on behalf of sex workers who were being targeted by the police Mm -hmm. um, on behalf of their own communities that were targeted by police. So this was a huge disconnect. Yeah. I was part of, I am still part of the group um, showing up for racial justice, Rhode Mm -hmm. Island. And we were tapped by PRISM and other organizers of color to participate in an action at Pride, um, where the youth group PRISM formally declined um, to be part of the event and to Mm -hmm. be honored at the event. So 
I showed up with Junie in her stroller and we went to Pride and we were a part of an action and we left and Junie, who was about five, was like, mama, mama, why, why can't police be in the race? Mm. I was like, what? <laughs> and so the chant at the rally, like a lot of rallies was no justice, no peace, no racist police. Mm-hmm. And Junie was like, okay, there's a race. Police aren't allowed to be in it. You don't understand what's going on. <laughs> so that started a lot of conversations. You know, I think with little kids, like a lot of them are exposed to like officer friendly. Uh, yeah. These are our friends. Police take care of us. Um, so just starting to have all those conversations about what if police who, you know, you see and they say hi to you. And they seem friendly, don't treat other people the same way because of their color of their skin, because of the way they're perceived in the community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of questions about can police be wrong? Don't mm-hmm. like don't bad people go to jail? Like how could police yeah. like hurt somebody who's not a bad person? Yeah. Well, that's really been Ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. Yeah, absolutely. I think those conversations are so important. And like, you know, I think about when I, I used to work at a children's museum in um, in Manhattan when I was living in New York. And I that was one of the things that we would talk about was community helpers. Like I would basically lead classes like the classroom would come in class. The classroom is a building. You know what I mean? The class would come in (laughs) and uh, they would, you know, we'd like take them on a tour of whatever, whatever part of the museum that, you know, the teacher wanted. And then we would do like a lesson. And one of the lessons was about community helpers. And they would expect me to sit in front of, you know, a class of, you know, black and brown kids from Harlem and be like, the police are your friends. And I'd be like, like, we literally, I mean, I think all the educators at that point were, most of us were white. And uh, we sat down, I mean, informally and just had a conversation like, yeah, we're not using that language or we're not going to talk about that. You know what I mean? It wasn't really our place to like open up a discussion about all of that right there as a museum educator. Um, But like we, you know, all felt super uncomfortable using that kind of language and, you know, talking to kids, saying things to kids that weren't necessarily true, right? From like, you know, and I think about that, like, even now I am a nanny. Now, I mean, I was a nanny at the time, but I've been nannying for about six years. Uh, The kids that I'm with now, I do community helpers with, and I never do police. (laughs) Like, I'm just like, I mean, they're very young, so... Uh, but I just don't even want to like, you know, at that again, like with my, I'm in an interesting position because I'm not parent where I don't always feel like, like, I feel like there are certain things that I can do to open up certain conversations, but some conversations I'm like, I got to check in with parents before I'm just like, uh, you know, going into this deep discourse with your three-year-olds. Right. But I feel like there are certain things, even as like a classroom educator or someone who isn't a parent, I think there are still things that you can do and ways that you can like, if this is in your curriculum to address it or uh, just to at, at the least not be like the police, your friends. It's definitely important to have these conversations with young kids. And like, like you were saying, like at first, you know, your kid was like a little confused about what was going on, but I'm, I'm, I think that like at any age, right. Like we can understand, you know, as long as we're telling kids in, uh, in ways that they can understand age appropriate bites. Right. Um, I think kids can understand those concepts, you know? 
so so for for starters like if you know your kid or another kid walked up to you and was just like what is activism like what does that even mean right in like kid-friendly terms how could you sort of explain what that means or what being an activist means you know i think it changes over time Mm. and definitely with a young child we're helping we're Mm. helping our community we're trying to make things more fair for people Mm -hmm. You know, I try to really stress uh, mutuality. Yeah. Other people need us. We need other people. Mm. Like we're going to help other people out because we want to know that we live in a community where people are going to help us out when we need them. For families, you know, white families of means, and I'm not sure, like we're quite a family of means, but we're close enough. (laughs) Sometimes it seems like you really don't need other people. Yeah, You know, you can buy your own stuff. You can hire somebody for that. Like you do your own thing. Like you don't need the park because you've got a nice backyard that can get into like, we're lucky. So we help others Mm -hmm. with our wealth, with our extra. And I feel like that can be a little bit toxic for kids to just see themselves as somebody who gives, but somebody who doesn't need Need, or So you know, we want to make the world like a good place for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the community aspect is so important. I think about, you know, for example, we have a local totally 100% community funded food bank here. They do like just a really awesome job of like, not only do they do, you know, g- give food to folks who need it. First of all, you do not need to prove anything. You just walk in and you say, hey, like I need food. And they give you food. They set you up and, you know, they give you food. And uh, they also have like, monthly or not monthly weekly meals i mean before this was before covid times they were having like weekly meals that were again totally it's totally volunteer based right they have like classes where like you can learn how to cook you can learn you know learn how to do all these things and um uh, my my wife and i at one point like did need help from them and like we went there and got help and then like we were in a financial position where like we didn't need help anymore and um it was still important to us to like support that organization even when we weren't needing the help Right. It was important to us to like go back and support them. And because like, even if I'm not needing that help, like when I do need that help or if I ever need that help, like I want that to be there. Right. And I think that this like idea of community and like community support is so important for like everyone. Because like, like you were saying, like, even if you have a nice backyard and you don't, you know, need the park in the ways that other people need it, like, you might still go to the park, you know, like there might still be times where you go to the park, right? Or you're using those community spaces. And I think it's important to think about community and also like you were saying like the ways that other people really rely on community even if like we don't necessarily rely on it as as much as other people because yeah those I think those spaces and things are like super important and it's important to think about and I yeah I think it was interesting what you were saying about like the idea of like oh we have you know extras or we're like giving it and sort of being like a toxic idea I never really thought about like that so that's like a really interesting perspective I'm curious, like, personally, you know, how you sort of, like, became involved with activism and what sort of, like, got you interested in in becoming involved with activism. You know, so I've always been a person who was aware of politics, Mm -hmm. like, listen to NPR, read the paper. (laughs) I moved to Providence in maybe 2012, and... Mm -hmm. I feel like around the time that Trayvon Martin was killed, Mm, mm -hmm. I just had, right, what Ms. Magazine would have called that click moment of what 
what is happening in the world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew that vigilanteism, police violence were big problems in black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. I knew that, you know, I'd read all the stuff that people say, like, first step, read these books, read these articles. Like, I'd read that stuff. So I was like, okay, so now what? Like, I really feel like I need to actually do do things. Yeah. And, you know, I think it can be really hard to make that step from being an aware person to being an active person. Mm -hmm. That first step is tough because, you know, for me, I feel like my first impulse was like, oh, I'm going to see a need in my community and I'm going to like as an individual work to fill it. So (laughs) I'm going to do a book drive for like... Mm-hmm. books featuring people of color to like distribute to local schools. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to do my own thing. And while I was in that space, I was fortunate that there was some local organizing of white people going on in Providence. And I joined our chapter of showing up for racial justice, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of just getting going at that point. And so showing up for racial justice is a national organization in the U S you know, it seeks to activate and organize white people. Our chapter had some really experienced organizers, had other people like me who just wanted to learn um, and had strong accountability relationships with organizations led by black and brown people, um, which I think is really important. So that helped me start getting involved, but really plugging into the organizing that was already happening mm-hmm. and being involved in efforts where black and brown led organizations were saying, Hey, we could really use some white people to like get out there and talk to your community and mm-hmm. elevate this issue. So one of the first things I worked on and Junie was with me for a lot of it was, um, uh, city a municipal ordinance called the community safety act that's now called i think the police community relations act Mm. so that was a really long effort in a years and years long effort in providence to get a police accountability and transparency ordinance passed Mm. so it provided for things like providence had this secret gang database, Mm. you know, people, especially youth, youth of color would get put on this secret list if they were suspected of being gang members. What? But then like if you as a youth or if your parents wanted to know, like, you know, I sense from the way police are treating my kid, there's something going on. I want to know if they're on this list. You couldn't find out it was secret. so wild so it covered stuff like that it covered stuff like translation for people Mm -hmm. um, in the community who were being interrogated by police it covered stuff like allowing people to identify you the gender of an officer who would search them not just having their own gender assumed and getting Mm. the officer that the police saw as appropriate. So it was big. And, you know, I came in towards the end 
and you know, it did pass. Um, oh, that's awesome. Two years since it's passed, we've wow. seen all the ways that police will resist. And that, <laughs> you know, towards the end, I remember taking Junie to um, one of the hearings where this, our city council was voting on it. City council chambers packed, just packed. Hundreds of people, two levels, balcony. Wow. The police union showed up in force, so room packed with community organizers, with off-duty officers, like, extremely tense. And I was there with Junie. And so we were in the back of the room and she and her friend Lulu got under this big oak table and they were like, I don't know, playing with my little ponies under there. (laughs) And like all hell is breaking loose. Like people screaming, pounding. Um, At some point people just threw all these papers off the top. Oh my Um, gosh the top level. So there's like paper raining down. Um, you know, they had like all the police vehicles parked outside, mm-hmm. you know, clearly preparing for mass arrests. And it was just really intense. So a couple of years after that, I was like, Junie, do you remember that night we were at city hall with Lulu and, you know, it was really loud. And she was like, um, yeah, Lulu and I played under the table. <laughs> no reaction. No, that was scary. That was loud. Just like, oh, yeah. And that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Oh my gosh. It's so funny the like, the ways that sometimes we'll think like something is so like traumatic or scary for a kid. And they're just like, huh, we just played with ponies. <laughs> On the flip side, in 2017 and onward, we were doing a lot of stuff around family separation. Mm. Like we went to this action outside of um, an ICE office, so just administrative offices, mm-hmm. one morning before school. Very chill. Faith leaders standing out on the sidewalk. And so, you know, Junie, who maybe was in first grade, had a lot of questions like, why are we doing this? Like, why do we have to be here? Why am yep. I holding this sign? <laughs> like, she's a great kid. She's super blunt. (laughs) She's not one of those like, oh, I just want to help people. She's like, mama, come on. (laughs) So then, you know, we were taking the bus to school after that. And she was asking me and I was explaining, you know, like on the border where people go back and forth from the U.S. to Mexico, when kids try to come to the U.S., they're taking the kids and they're like putting them in jail. Mm. And she was like so freaked out. I think it just hit her at a developmental stage of like, Mm. you know, so that's possible. Like they could take me and like put me in jail without my moms. Like what? Like without my pets, without my stuffed animals, (laughs) you know, so That really led, I think, it was one precipitating factor in her having a lot, lot, lot of separation anxiety. Mm. You know, there are the things you think are going to be a big deal that kids just like brush it off and move on. And there are things where you're like, okay, this is just what we do. And it ends up being like really intense for them. 
Yeah, no, totally. I think when these kinds of scary things happen, um, it, it is it, it is hard to like, how do I like, I want to be honest with my kids and I want to explain it to them. But like, how do I do that without scaring them? That Like, whatever this thing is could just happen at any time. Right. Um, and I think it can be like a really tricky line to navigate. So I know you you talked uh, a little bit about um, different different times that you've gone to actions or different things with June, but like you know if, if you have other examples of ways that you sort of um, have engaged in activism uh, with or does June use uh, she her pronouns? She does. Okay, with her. <laughs> Two other things we've been pretty involved in. We were part of an effort that was ultimately successful after a lot of mm. pain and. struggle to get new legislation passed in Rhode Island to update the parentage laws here. Mm. Um, So our parentage laws were like 50s era. It was all like paternity, paternity, paternity. And we'd been in one of those situations in Rhode Island where judges were like, you know, particularly for, um, couples who are doing um, a second parent adoption were like, mm-hmm. okay, don't worry about it. Like, we'll get you through. Then a much more conservative judge became head judge of the family mm. court. And people were having to like advertise in the newspaper for like their anonymous donor and like oh go to court to see if this person like showed up to claim the child. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was like straight out of like colonial America. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> so this law like fixed a lot of things that just really needed to be fixed, you know, to my mind. It was just really basic stuff. Yeah. Like, you can't <laughs> function with this like 18th no. century legal <laughs> So we were really lucky to be part of a group um, that eventually sort of coalesced uh, the Rhode Island Rhode Islanders for Parentage Equality. Right, mm. we formed a little group. You know, we had people who were interested due to issues of assisted reproduction and queer parents, mm-hmm. and so that's something we were involved with. And you know, I think there's so much space for people to get involved in local legislation. You know, because we did go sometimes to the state house in Mm -hmm. person to testify, but there's also submitting written testimony, writing stuff, just trying to get people, activate your community to reach out to legislators. You know, my perspective is from Rhode Island, which is tiny. So, you know, getting 10 people (laughs) to contact someone is a big deal. Yeah. But there are always lots of great bills and it can be really hard for them to get the attention without people actively reaching out. So I feel like that's something you can participate in from your own home. Mm -hmm. We also, um, I'm a plaintiff on June's behalf um, in a federal lawsuit. The lawsuit argues that in Rhode Island, the current education system doesn't adequately prepare students to fully participate in civic life. Yeah. So, you know, it's an educational equality lawsuit. And 
that's been cool. Like half the plaintiffs are high school students. Oh, um, wow. Local, mostly urban high schools. And mm-hmm. half of us are parents um, <laughs> with school age kids. So that's been that's been great. You know, hopefully by the time June's in high school, it will get decided. And <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll get a good result. And mostly it's pretty easy because I don't have to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) We did go to court one day. It had its first hearing here in Providence. So the judge let us sit in uh, the jury box and Mm. listen to some of the the arguments. Um, And Junie was just like, what? what is going on? Like, what is this? What is a court? What is a judge? (laughs) (laughs) And then all day she was like, yeah, my mom made me miss school and sit in a box all (laughs) day. (laughs) I'm curious, like as, as she's gotten older, is it more like, my mom drags me to these things and makes me sit in a box. Um, Or is she sort of like getting more interested or actively involved? Or is it just, I mean, I think like either way, right. It's important to involve kids and sort of let them know what's going on. But I'm curious, like, has her interest changed or is she still kind of like, my mom made me sit in a box all day? (laughs) Yeah, I think she's more like not really feeling it. For Mm -hmm. her, it really depends on like who's going to be there. Like, will there be (laughs) other kids? Yeah. There are other kids, like, okay, I'll go. And I feel like I have to give her more space to be like no I am not interested Mm. um as she gets Mm -hmm. older yeah absolutely um and she's developing her own interests like in terms of stuff she really cares about she's Mm -hmm. really interested in the environment Mm. um in protecting animals oh that's awesome issues of housing and unhoused people there's probably a venn diagram with like parents with progressive politics in the middle. And then there are circles with parents who are more like, this is what we do as a family and you will be participating. Yeah. And there are parents who are more like, this is something you have to figure out for yourself. And I think I'm more on the figure it out for yourself side of things. Yeah. And that, I mean, that kind of like, goes right into my next question that you kind of already answered, but um, maybe we could just like elaborate on a little bit, which is just like, obviously like every family has their own beliefs and and values and like how, how do we raise children and tell them about the things that we believe in or the things we think are right or whatever, while still teaching them to be like open-minded and um, make their own decisions. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think particularly from my place, like, White woman, Junie and I have mostly lived in primarily Black or Latino communities. Mm-hmm. I think they're really, I really try to instill in her like a chillness with people. <laughs> I have my beliefs, you know, I certainly hope that Junie will share them, but it's not necessarily our job to like try to school other people or boss them around we listen to people we hear what they say we Mm. share our own thoughts but you know if somebody's like doing their thing but not threatening us not in our space and Mm -hmm. don't like it we can just leave it we don't need to police people so recently we were at the park (laughs) 
there's a huge sign that says, don't feed bread to the ducks. It's not good for them. Ducks yeah. should not eat bread. <laughs> and there Who was people. feeding bread to the ducks? <laughs> yep, there are people <laughs> like big bags of bread. And Jeannie was mm. like, you have to tell them. You have to go tell them that like you don't feed bread to the ducks. It's not good for them. There's a sign. And I was like, you know, like they're not bo- those people are not bothering us. They're doing their thing. We're just going to like let them do it like yeah i personally would not feed bread to the ducks but in the scheme of things and it wasn't like they were physically hurting the duck right there wasn't like you know (laughs) and i think another one for us you know i don't say the pledge of allegiance Mm -hmm. you know i don't participate um junior school depending on the teacher sometimes they do the pledge and i feel like it's up to her if she wants to Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't tell her, like, we as a family do not do that. Yeah. Well, I think it's so important to be like, listen, like, I don't do this. This is why I don't do this. You can make up your own choice, right? Like, you can make up your own mind about it. And I think with a lot of things, that's so, it's so important to just, like, explain, you know, personally, right? And, like, even, like, in a family, right? Like, two parents or multiple parents might have different things that they do. Like, one, you know, might do the Pledge of Allegiance on one night lot. And I think it's great to like explain like, this is why or why I don't do this thing. And like, you can make up your own mind about it. And I think a lot about that as like somebody who I, I grew up with a pretty conservative family, not as, I, on the like scale of conservativeness, you know, it wasn't like the worst, I guess, or the furthest it could be. But, um, you know, I grew up in like a Christian family and a pretty Republican family. And um it was interesting because I feel like there was always this narrative of like, you know, I do want you to think for yourself and I want you to do, th- you know, that like be open-minded and think for yourself. And then when I thought for myself in, in a different, you know, and decided to believe something or think something different than my family thought, it was like, oh, no, no, but don't do it like that. <laughs> I was like, wait, I'm getting mixed signals here. You want me to think for myself, but then agree with you <laughs> is what you're saying, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I think that happens sometimes is like, we want to think that like whatever we believe is right or it's, you know, the, the you know, some, sometimes. And uh, therefore, it, even if we let our children think for our, themselves, they're still going to agree with us, you know. And I think that is important to kind of shed that <laughs> idea and let, let kids think for themselves, even at a young age, right? Like, you know, obviously uh, certain things are non-negotiable, right? Like bedtime or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, in, generally speaking, I think it's important to even like with so- small things, like I let kids pick their own clothes. Or even with younger kids, I'll hold up because a whole closet is overwhelming, right? And I'll just hold up two options or something like that. I think it's important to help kids develop those skills of being able to, you know, decide what they like and think for themselves. Yeah, definitely. This is sort of in in a different direction, but something that I personally think about a lot as like someone who is disabled and has a lot of like people in my life who have different access needs and things. And I feel like there's this like idea, and I don't know if you've experienced this with like within activism where like if like you don't go to protests or you don't involve yourself physically in spaces like you that you're not like a real activist, you know, and um and of course, like, you and I probably, I, I'm assuming from uh, speaking with you that I can I can loop you into this. Is that like, right, like probably on board with the idea that like that is not the only way <laughs> to uh, involve yourself. But, and, and especially for children too, right? Like that might not always be an accessible space for kids. And like you were saying, like it might be kind of a scary space or it might be just like, there's a lot of people there. Maybe it's like, you know, your kid doesn't like being around a lot of people or whatever the case may be uh, for adults or kids. I'm curious, like if, 
like we could talk about what are some other ways to get involved with uh, activism? Yeah, I think that's really important because, you know, there's so much work to be done. And, you know, a lot of the examples like I've given talking to you are like, I showed up at this place, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, that's like 5% of the work. And I feel like there's so much need for the behind the scenes tab. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think the challenge is really getting plugged in to Mm. your community. And then once you find a way into the community and the work, like there are endless tasks that, (laughs) you know, so, you know, I have a friend who is a musician and Mm. he'll make flyers for people Mm. (laughs) and kind of cool old school. Oh, I love that. (laughs) You know, I know like I respond to Facebook messages for Mm -hmm. all of the groups I'm involved with. Um, Sometimes Junie and I, if we can't attend an action, we'll make a bunch of signs Mm. um, and have somebody to pick them up on their way. Um, yeah, which I like. I like seeing the pictures and being like, "Oh, I made that sign." Oh, I love that. Well, that's true, right? Because not like I remember my the first action that I went to. I was like, "I don't have any good ideas for a sign," <laughs> right? Like that's not my. Uh, I'm a very artistic person, but I'm not a good ideas person. <laughs> my wife yeah. is the ideas person. We're very good team. Um, but at, at that point, she was not. Uh, she was not in the space, and uh, so like I would have loved if someone just made me a sign. That would have been great (laughs) um and then i think you know there's like editing spreadsheets yeah so you can upload them to your email whatever there's like copy editing yeah i'm even thinking about like making phone calls or writing letters like exactly there's so many yeah like you're saying i think there's so many behind the scenes things and like i think it's just like a lot of things like it's like whatever your skills are there's probably room for you to use your skills Mm -hmm. um in that in that setting i love that i just i kind of wanted to like address and sort of dispel that myth because i know a lot of people who feel like either they're not doing they're not doing it well enough because they can't you know, go, go and physically be in spaces or like that that's the only thing to do. Well, because I think also it is like you were saying, it's, it can be kind of tricky to get plugged in to the, the community in, in that way. I think, cause like there were definitely times where I was like, I want to do something, but like, where do I find out about what's happening or like, you know? Yeah. So totally. actually, I mean, this is sort of an off the cuff question, but do you have any recommendations of how to, I mean, obviously, you know, in your specific space, but like how to sort of find those spaces or get plugged in? Yeah, I think that can be really challenging. Um, mm. You know, if you have particular issues that you're interested in seeing like, okay, who just getting on Facebook, getting online, seeing who's working on this in my area, if Mm -hmm. there's like an article in my local newspaper, like who are they going to for quotes? Mm. Well, maybe that's an active organization I can reach out to. If there's a candidate running for office who like you're interested in getting Mm -hmm. in touch with their campaign, 
you know, checking to see if national orgs that you like have any local presence Mm. in your area. And I think it's one of those things where once you plug into one thing with like-minded people, like then you get the connections. Yeah. The doors start to open. Yeah. (laughs) So like, I would say, you know, your first entry, it doesn't have to be like the perfect group for you. Yeah. But take that first step and then you'll meet other people and that'll help you like move along and make connections. That's great advice. I think like sometimes because of the content of whatever we're talking about, like whether it you know, is stuff talking about the police or things like that. Um, There isn't always a huge Facebook presence. Facebook is also a great place. I mean, I have like a lot of community groups where I could at least just ask the question, hey, do you know any right organizations I could get plugged in with right like and and of course I'm speaking from the perspective of being a queer person and there's like a huge intersection of of queer folks and activism so it might be a little Mm -hmm. easier um in communities like that um but I but I know just like in my local like there's like um if if uh if you are um a queer person there's a queer exchange groups in many cities um that are great resources for just like everything just like you want to ask a question you want to sell a piece of furniture like it's <laughs> like from everything um uh so those groups are great places to ask those kinds of questions or even if you have like a local like uh, again i have it like a couple of neighborhood groups here in ndg where i live that are also good for asking those kinds of questions so don't be afraid to just throw it out into the universe too but yeah i think i think it can be tricky to get get involved in stuff like that so i appreciate your uh, your advice because i know personally i've had those like i said i've had those moments where i was like i want to do something but like <laughs> i'm sure that there's already a thing for me to get plugged into i don't need to like organize my own protest right um <laughs> and I, covid has opened up some new ways to engage mm. that you know i know in groups i'm part of we're talking about like can we keep this going? Even if we are meeting in person again, can we have like Mm -hmm. a virtual option or a call-in option for people? Yeah. Because that's the reality. Like for some people, it's physically hard to get to a place. Or it's just like being around people, you know, people might have social anxiety Mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be. I think like, honestly, like that's, if I can say anything good has happened out of COVID, (laughs) I think the, the access to things has actually been really, really nice that things have become very virtual. um, Because I think for, you know, I think it, it depends, right? For some people, I'm sure for people who are, you know, for already have those access needs and maybe aren't going out as much anyway, it's probably making things much more convenient um, for folks who feel like they're, you know, now cooped up in their house um, for a year. Uh, I'm sure it's, you know, virtual isn't for everyone for sure. Um, But I think the idea that like, we can do so many of these things from home, right? Like now that it's an option, we're realizing like, oh, like so many jobs can be done from home and so many, you know, things can like, hmm, why is it coming into the office for all these years? But I love that, that we, I feel like that's something that we've gained from this experience. And I hope that we stick with figuring out ways to once we're meeting in person again in these different situations. I think that it's important to, to think about ways to incorporate and, you know, have access to everybody. And like, I think one thing we've learned also is like, how easy it is, like, I feel like we always kind of gripe about like, oh, it's so hard to make things accessible for I'm like, it really wasn't that hard. guys. <laughs> All it took was a pandemic, a global pandemic. And we figured it out. I want to just ask you before we uh, kind of wrap up, I'm curious if you have I know you talked about 
sort of how to find and how to get plugged in. But if you have any like, you know, specific resources, you know, either for kids or adults, whether it's like websites or organizations or uh, anything like that. So I think this organization, The Frontline, and they're at mobilize.us slash The Frontline, um, is doing really interesting work. Um, They were really active in mobilizing voters in Georgia here in the U.S. Mm. in that big Senate election recently. They're functioning as an umbrella organization for a lot of really cool progressive organizing um, and have ways to plug in, uh, making calls, texting, mm-hmm. um, oh, awesome. meetings. Um, so I'd say they're a great organization to check out if you're like, I want to do something, but I'm really not sure. Mm-hmm. I'm going to jot that one down for the next time I feel like that. The last question before we wrap up is just, uh, do you have you know any personal projects or work that you would like to plug? Or, and also, where can people find you on the internet, uh, assuming you would like to be found on the internet? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have any personal projects and I don't wish to be found on the internet. <laughs> well, there you go. That makes that one easy. This is the easiest wrap up I've ever done. No, no, no. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been, uh, it's been such a pleasure. I'm glad that I found you on the internet or you found me. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to talk. You know, I would say I know nothing. I am not an expert, but <laughs> I'm happy to share my experience. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing it with us. Hey folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Uh, so today there is one special announcement, announcement, I can speak y'all, uh, one special announcement, which is that I am starting up yet another project. So I'm actually starting a kids activity subscription box. It's called Boredom Breakers Box, and uh, it's going to be an arts and activity box for kids ages two to six, uh, more or less. So basically what it is, is four times a year, so for every season of the year, summer, fall, winter, spring, um, you will get a box full of activities and crafts for the kiddo in your life to do or to do with the kiddo in your life. So the idea behind it is there is what boils down to one activity and one craft per week. So if you wanted to do one activity and one craft per week, you could do it like that, almost like a curriculum. Or it can also be used anytime you just need an activity to do. So your kid's like, I'm bored, uh, which I feel like that was me always when I was a kid. Uh, You could just say, hey, let's go grab something out of the box. Um, So it sort of has multiple uses. But the general idea being that uh, hopefully your kid um, will have something to do during those boredom moments. So each activity or craft comes with all the materials you'll need aside from, you know, your basic essential stuff like glue, scissors, that kind of thing. But yeah, I'm really excited about this personally just because as many of you know, my background is in art education. So it's really exciting for me to be able to utilize my sort of curriculum building skills. And uh, I really love lesson planning. I know a lot of people don't, um, but personally as an educator, that's one of my favorite things to do. So I'm really excited about this and I hope you are too. So if you'd like to find out more info about that, you can go to www.boredombreakersbox.com. So other than that, it's just the regular stuff. So as always, if you like awesome children's books, which I'm assuming you do because you're here, uh, you can check out at kidsbookabout.com where you can find uh, kids' books about all sorts of awesome topics, lots of the topics that we cover here, including things like depression, anxiety, uh, creativity, uh, white privilege, just all sorts of really cool things. And uh, you can do that. I already said you can go to www.kidsbookabout.com, but I'm going to say it again. Go there. Uh, And you can use our new code. (laughs) We keep having issues with codes being picked up by robots 
curse you robots um yeah so our new discount code is radchild 2021 new n-e-w um so yeah you can use that code to get five dollars off your order woohoo yay uh and the robots don't win so there you go and of course we want to shout out the upford network which is the awesome uh podcasting network we're a part of it's a montreal local network and uh yeah we're just really happy to be a part of it definitely check out our other shows you can do that by going to upfordnetwork.com and yeah sorry other than that it's just the usual boring stuff like where to find us yada yada so uh yeah if you would like to follow us on social media if you don't already honestly i would recommend especially following us on facebook because that's the best the social media that i am the best at um so that's where you will i can speak today i promise where you will find out uh the most info so you can follow us either on facebook twitter or instagram by following at radchild podcast i tried to keep it simple uh if you would like to reach out to us you can also just email us at again radchildpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to www.radchildpodcast.com uh under the cat contact us section i'm really having trouble speaking today and i've had my coffee so i have no excuse i don't know what to tell you yeah so if you go under that contact us section you'll also see there's information about how to be a guest so definitely uh feel free to fill that out if you're interested in that Uh, we're always looking for new guests yeah so definitely do that if you're interested in supporting us financially uh, you can do so by uh, going to patreon.com forward slash rad child podcast or you can just go to patreon.com and search rad child podcast we are definitely the only one Um, so yeah basically what patreon is is it's a way for uh, listeners like you people who enjoy the work that people do to financially support the content that they like so So uh, basically you can make a monthly contribution as little as a dollar a month. Honestly, I know it sounds silly, but even a dollar a month really helps us. And basically you get awesome rewards for even donating as little as a dollar a month. So for a dollar a month, you can get awesome uh, bloopers and what do you call it? Bonus content. I can speak, I swear. Um, So you can get awesome bonus content and things like that for a little bit more, like $5, $10 a month. You can get things like monthly coloring pages designed by my wonderful wife, Catherine. You can also get things like story time with yours truly, uh, which is a recorded monthly story time where I read one of the books that we've talked about in our Way to Go Room to Grow episodes that month. Uh, and there's all sorts of cool things. There's also like care packages you can get. You can get um, Seth's picks, which is one of my favorite things to do, which is basically uh, depending the frequency uh, can be three times a year to every month, depending on what tier you are. Uh, and basically I'll send you fun stuff in the mail for you and uh, the kids in your lives. So it might be like a children's book, a toy that I think is cool. Um, It might be a parenting book or a book about, you know, child care type stuff um so yeah it's all all that kind of stuff and it's it's really fun for me to do because i love i love sending gifts in the mail (laughs) gifting is my love language y'all gifting and food but since i can't send you food i'll send you gifts that you kind of paid for you know anyway yeah so that's about it from me and uh, so i guess i'll uh, hand it over to rebecca and crystal and then we'll get back to the show thanks Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? 
Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books... We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. Hey folks, welcome back. So I won't waste any time. Uh, let's just get right into it. And I'm going to invite my next guest to introduce themselves. So we're going to do name pronouns, where you're from, your relationship with kids and your relationship with the theme of activism. I'm so happy to be here today. Thanks so much for, for having me. I'm Kelly Clancy. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I live in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I teach political science at a small liberal arts school. But I was born in Queens, New York, and I spent most of my life in Austin, Texas. So I'm a little bit from all over the place. My relationship with kids, I have three of my own. Cyrus is seven, Alma is three, and Maisie is about to be a year. And so... What cool name. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had... um, we had fun trying to decide names that that would maybe suit them and suit our family. And so, yeah, I like their, yeah, I like their I love that. And uh, I also, I taught preschool for a while. I coached high school debate for a long time. Now I teach college. And mm. so I feel like most of my life has been involved with kids in one way or the other besides my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the theme of the week is activism. And I consider myself an, a political activist and I, teach a lot of classes that are about social movements and contentious politics. And mm-hmm. I'm working on a book right now about anti about activism during the Trump era. And so that mm-hmm. is my relationship with this week's theme. That is an important, important book. So thank you for doing that work. <laughs> Before we sort of dive into the theme, I always ask my guests the same question to start off. We talk a lot about, you know, questions that kids ask us that might kind of catch us off guard or we're not totally prepared mm-hmm. for. Um, so I'm curious if there's ever been a time uh, where a child, whether your own or another child, has asked you a question that you kind of weren't prepared for or caught you off guard. I have one from Cyrus and one from Alma. Uh, and the Alma <laughs> one is a little bit funnier. So Alma is three and she is mm-hmm. really into playing families right now. And so everybody's mm-hmm. always cast into a different role in a different family and families look all different types of ways. <laughs> and so she was playing one day and she got really mad and I asked her why. And she said, because someone asked her who the baby's daddy was. And she said, I don't understand why they asked me that. And I said, oh, well, you know, they were playing and maybe they were wondering if the baby had a daddy or not. And she said, oh, I am strong and I am brave. And so I can't, why can't I be the baby's mommy and daddy at the same time? And Uh, I love that. I was like, you're the coolest kid I know. And and so I was like, of course Uh, you can, Um, you know? And so I was like, your family can look any way you want it to look. And that baby's going to be just as awesome. And she's like, but why did they think that the baby needed to have a daddy? And I was like, oh my God, that's a great question. question. (laughs) (laughs) My other one's more serious. So I'll have a, Mm -hmm. have a couple of stories about 
how I think being an activist for my older son, who's seven, has really like shaped mm. his world in ways that it hasn't for the younger ones yet. And so one of the things that he's had a really hard time with and a question that's been really hard to answer is he's like, why do we have relatives that vote for Donald Trump? And it is the mm. hardest question to answer. And so yeah. we we end up talking a lot about how we need to love people no matter what their politics are and how, mm -hmm. you know, family, you know, again, going back to like families do different things and make different choices, but you still have to love them anyway. Um, but it's really difficult to navigate what he thinks is this sort of like absolute moral code, which is that we've spent yeah. most of his adult life doing things to protest Trump. And then we still have family members who vote for him. And so how do you navigate mm -hmm that terrain. And that's been a really hard conversation in our house that I don't think I've ever answered very well. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's really tricky. And I, I also almost all my family voted for Trump. So I feel you there. And like, I'm sitting here as a trans person, like you're saying you support me and then you're voting for someone who doesn't think I should have rights, right. which is confusing to me. Right. Um, but like, it's interesting. I mean, this is getting a little personal, but like they, I think that they really, don't see that stuff or they think that it, it's like fake news you know what i mean like i don't think that they're like this guy is against my son or my grandson or whoever mm -hmm. like they really i think have like told themselves that it's not true you know and I, which i think is like another thing that's really tricky to navigate but i don't think that they're like they're being like this this person is going to do something bad to someone i love and i'm going to vote for them anyway mm -hmm. they just like really have told themselves that it's not that, you know, not that way right. because of the media that they're consuming or different things. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's really hard to, to talk to kids about is like the, you know, the idea of like media literacy and like what media we're consuming is telling us different things and mm -hmm. how we have to, you know, really like if you see something on Facebook or wherever, right, for older kids who have maybe have a Facebook or even like you hear something, you know, at school, like you can't just like take that, you know, mm -hmm. as fact, right? We have to like you know, look into that and do research and um, make our own own decisions about what we think is true or not, mm -hmm. you know, which is like media literacy is a whole nother thing. Right. That's, I've been thinking about doing an episode just on that. Um, <laughs> how to teach kids but, how to be media but, literate is a great topic for an yeah. episode because it's so hard to tell yeah. them not to, and not to trust things that people they love say is such a hard conversation yeah. to navigate too. Like we love grandma and grandpa, but they are not right. about <laughs> A lot of things they say about people and the oh world gosh. and climate change. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. And and also, I think, like, you know, a, a conversation that I think is hard to have with kids. And it's different if, like, you know, in general, you know, your family still loves you and they're good people and they, you know, they've overturned. You know, that, but that's different than, like, if your family is, like, let's say not treating you great. Like, I had an aunt who is very transphobic and, you know, doesn't support me and all these things who I decided to cut out of my life for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And then we, we ended up kind of reconnecting. But, like, I think... It, there's also this important like there's this idea that like just because people are our family we have to love them right. and like if people treat us in a way like if anybody treats us in a way that's not fair or right like you know and on a repeat on a repetitive basis like I think it's you know I think it's hard to have that conversation too of like right you don't want to tell a seven-year-old like if you're mad at grandma just don't talk to her for three years but like you know there's this I there's this interesting idea like societal idea that like just because someone is related to us by blood or however that we have to 
like that we have to have them in our lives and like them. And I thought about what, like when I was going through this situation, I asked my, it was my, my mom's sister. And I asked my mom and I asked my grandma whose daughter it was. I was like, if someone else was treating me like this, what would you tell me to do? And they'd be like, don't talk to that person. And I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you know? So it's also interesting. Like when we do have, family members who are uh, not and not just saying like do that if someone doesn't agree with your political views but you know what I mean um, I think it's you know important to tell kids that like if anybody is not treating you in a way that's okay mm-hmm. like we can talk about that it's not just like well you have to dismiss it because it's family right. I think it's so yeah. important I mean and this is also a little far from the topic but I think it's so important to tell kids no, that okay. everything that you can interrogate anything that your family does you know and so like you don't have to to hug and kiss your uncle just because he wants to and just because he's family like you still get to have your bodily autonomy around your family members and you get to tell them no and you know teaching kids how to be assertive and confident around family members when things don't feel right I think is it's super important including saying that hey, you don't want a relationship with this person right now and and you're right like it's hard you know just because they tell you you know you can't watch tv or you have to go to bed you can't cut off them because of that but if they're you know, denying something fundamental about your, your, your personhood or your rights, then you can form your own family and it can look different. Um, so it's actually really timely that you bring that up because our last episode was actually about consent, talking a lot about the whole like hugging and kissing and um, bodily autonomy and, and stuff like that, which I think is so important. Um, and just like treating children like they're people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think all of that is is super important. So I guess my first question would be like, what even does it mean to be an activist? Like what, you know, who is an activist? What does that mean? Yeah, I think about someone who's an activist as someone who's trying to bring political or social change through campaigning or protest or other efforts. And I think activism can take, you know, lots of different forms. Like it can Mm. be something that's done very publicly and it can be something that's done more privately. But I think the idea is that you're using you know, your time and your resources in a Mm -hmm. way to um, change something. And that change can be focused on issues. And so, you know, you can want to change a law or you can want to change the way that um, something's done in your society. And then it can also Mm -hmm. be focused on oppression. Like your lot of activism Mm -hmm. is more sort of long-term cultural or or anti-oppression based. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also curious about like your personal experience, like how did you sort of get in- involved in activism initially and like what sort of made you interested in it? Yeah, I so I've been sort of a maybe a lazy activist or a sometimes <laughs> activist uh, since I was since I was a teenager. And mm. so um, the first election that I got to vote in was in 2000. And then when the Supreme Court decided that George Bush won, you know, we were out, I was, I lived in Austin and so we were mm-hmm. out at the Capitol protesting and, you know, and so I got, I had a bunch of friends who went to Florida to protest. And so I've always been sort of either involved in big protests or adjacent to people who were more sort mm-hmm. of serious protesters. And then, um, and, you know, and I kept that up for a while, like I would knock on doors around elections, go to events about things that were important to me, go to protests around things that were important to me. But I think during the Obama years, it was pretty Mm -hmm. easy to just think that everything was okay Mm -hmm. until Ferguson happened. Yeah. And then I think when, when Michael Brown was shot in Ferguson, there was this real sense that, you know, politics wasn't going to take care of itself and that people needed to get involved again. Mm -hmm. And, 
in a real way. And then when Trump was elected, I was, you know, shocked and I was furious and going to protests and trying to figure out, I think there was a real worry that, that things were done for, you know, progressive politics in the United States. And it was, it was this horrifying sort of moment and we were living, we had moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, because I'd gotten a job Mm -hmm. teaching here. It's like, how are we living in in the Midwest, in a deep red state? Yeah. Trump is president. Like, we have to do something to help change that. Mm -hmm. And I, that's when I sort of decided that over the next four years, I would need, I would spend, you know, my, as much of my professional life as I could, but then also as much as of, of my personal life as I could doing different things to resist the Trump administration. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was really scary for a lot of us. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just remember I was on my honeymoon in London uh, when the election results got announced. And people, I mean, they could tell that I was American from my accent obviously. Mm-hmm. And people literally strangers, like they'd hear us talk or people we were interacting with like our Starbucks barista or whoever mm-hmm. would literally like put their hand on my shoulder as soon as I started speaking and they realized I was American and just be like, I am so sorry. Yeah. Like someone died, like in the right. most sincere way, like people were like, mm-hmm. I am so sorry for you. <laughs> and I was right. like, Oh my God. <laughs> like it was so, you know, like <laughs> it was, it was just a really interesting cultural thing to be somewhere <laughs> else when it happened where people were just like, yeah. you know, it, it also like, I was relating it recently to, you know, when you have a friend, I feel like we've all had this friend who has a boyfriend or who's dating someone mm-hmm. who everyone around them is like, this guy is bad for you. Break up with him. And that's <laughs> how I felt about the election. Like I felt like the whole world yeah. was like, this guy is bad for you. Break up with him. Right. And we were like, no, he doesn't. He's yep. fine. He's, you know, he's, he's nice to my parents or like whatever. <laughs> like we make excuses. And that's how I felt about Trump. I thought about this recently yeah. and I was like, that's what it is. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Where you ignore everyone. You're uh-huh. like, no, I'm, I'm right. It's fine. Things are fine. But anyway, uh, speaking speaking of Trump, um, which is not a segue I, I use very often, uh, I'd like to hear more about more about your book and sort of like what what it's all about and what inspired it. Yeah, so most of the research that I did before writing this book was about European politics, and so mm. I um, my PhD is in comparative politics, and I focus on European politics and European protest movements, and I was trying to figure out what my next project was going to be, and I noticed two interesting things. And so one thing that I I was really interested in was that, uh, so the Women's March was the biggest protest event in American history. Wow. It was bigger than anything during the civil rights movement, anything like that. And then it didn't go away. Like people kept showing up and kept mm-hmm. turning out at major protest events, but also just, you know, Indivisible popped up and people started going to offices and members of Congress. Like, and so I was like, this is a really interesting, unique moment in American politics where mm. protest is still, it continues to happen and, um, and is, is getting results. Like the Republicans weren't able to overturn the Affordable Care Act, even though mm-hmm. they were in control of all three branches of Congress. And mm-hmm. that's an amazing thing. Um, but nobody in the media was really talking about it and so Mm -hmm. you know you had the new york times and they would be like okay so let's go to another diner and talk to these trump voters and i'm like this is not the interesting story the interesting story is not people voting for trump it's the fact that three million more people voted for clinton and they're really mad and they're they're protesting and they're not they're not going away 
Yeah. Um, and so that was one thing I noticed. And then the second thing I noticed was that as amazing as all of these new protesters were, um, they were acting as though there was no protest movement already existing in America. Mm. And so they, in a lot of ways, um, were ignoring the fact that there were Black Lives Matter chapters in their cities, or there were all of these like long-term systemic community organizers mm. um, who had been there doing sort of anti-oppression work. Like for acting really like time. we need to start from scratch. Yeah, acting yeah. like you need to start from scratch. And no. then not taking leadership from from community leaders who had been in that space for a really mm-hmm. long time. And so I and so when I would talk to and I would talk to folks who were who were part of this movement, they it definitely felt like they were just in these two different universes of trying to resist Trump in these different ways. And there mm-hmm. was a really interesting story to be told about how they weren't really talking to each other about yeah. how complex progressive politics were in the United States. Yeah, And so I decided to write a book about it. I love that. Yeah, I, I think like you said, it was kind of like a missed opportunity. And like, I think a lot of times we feel like we need to start things ourselves. And I know well, I was talking earlier uh, with our uh, er- guest earlier this morning uh, or earlier today about the... Um, how I felt like when I like I forget what had happened, uh, but you know there was some something that happened, you know, in the media, whatever, where I was like, I want to get out and I want to go to protest or I want to do, you know, I, I want to, you know, uh, do something about this. But I felt like I had no connection to any anyone or anything, uh, you know, organizations or things like that. Um, like I did some re- research and probably not deep enough research. I'm not a very good researcher. I will admit uh, <laughs> my co-host Rebecca is the better researcher. She's the researcher. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, I, I had trouble kind of finding, finding a protest to go to or a thing to do. Right. And I was in New York city. So like there was probably right. a lot of things going on, but like, I feel like there's a lot of misconnections that happen. And so, yeah, I feel like it's, it's interesting where like I, but I mean, this also seems like a circumstance where they were sort of bigger organizations and things that have been mm-hmm. longstanding. It wasn't just like, you know, someone putting something together on Facebook, right? right? But I think it is. there is this interesting sort of like, not gatekeeping, but like uh, difficulty to access, I think, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that sometimes. And I, I don't know if I'm just sort of rambling at this point, but it's something that I think <laughs> about a lot as far as like, mm-hmm. uh, I wish it was easier to access. I wish it was easier to and all of this is sort of a networking problem yeah. that you're describing that you yeah. think the internet would have solved for us. But I think that what you're talking about is interesting that there aren't like lines that are being drawn between yeah. these different groups in order to pull them towards each other. Mm-hmm. And so like I would talk to all of these, you know, really interesting, involved, very smart white organizers. And I would ask, you know, is your group, like how diverse is your group? Like what's the demographic makeup of it? And they would be like, we would really love if the black community got more involved in what we're doing. And it's like that bell hooks quote where she's like, you know, white people think that we're just waiting to join there. There's like this great bell hooks quote that I can't, can I, can I Google the quote? Real quick? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it left my brain and I want to say it right. Where she ta- she's talking about how white organizers just are reifying this broader like white supremacist values and this this structure that they benefit from. And mm. so they're just the ideas they're waiting for black people to find them and come to them because they should be so grateful that 
yeah. that white people have made this space, right? And so that can, that just recreates all of the problematic like structures of privilege that white people ostensibly are protesting against. But there were n- almost no white people that I interviewed for this book who sought out black spaces to join, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or who asked how they could support mm-hmm. or build on black spaces. Yeah. So instead they were like, I have this cool protest movement and I don't know why black people don't want to join us. And I think that that's like a, that's one of these existing problems in terms of, mm. of networking. And so then I was interviewing this really interesting black organizer from, um, from North Carolina. And she was like, the problem right now is that there are all of these old white women who were part of <laughs> the protest movement in the 1960s and they keep coming in here and sucking all of the air out of the room. And so they're not asking, you know, what are you already doing? How can I help? Instead they're saying like, this is the only way to do it. And they're, they're taking up all of the, Mm -hmm. the already existing space that we've built as black organizers. And, and, and she was just so frustrated by the idea that, she was making these good faith efforts to involve white people and and to invite them into the space. And then they were assuming that there was no work already being done there. And I think that's just such such the history of white organizing in the United Mm -hmm. States and something that we can can do better about is taking black leadership. And I think that one moment that you really saw that was this past summer in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, you saw... Um, a lot of white organizations falling in line behind Black Lives Matter and, you know, really deciding to follow the leadership of the the Black women primarily who were organizing these protests. And so I think that was a moment where you saw, like, white bodies deciding to, uh, to line up in front of the Black protesters mm-hmm. to take, like you saw in Portland, like, night after night, there would be like this line of white people who were putting themselves between the black protesters and the police, like as the shield. And I thought that was this really powerful, interesting moment um, in, in American protest politics that was like, maybe we could see some sort of change. And then Joe Biden got elected and people were like, okay, good enough. (laughs) So I think that then people stopped protesting and went back to their lives. I know. Well, like after Trump, it's just like anything, anything. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it's true, right? There's always, there's always work to be done, uh, for Mm -hmm. sure. And nothing, no administration is perfect. But anyway, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, jump into talking a little bit about kids and why was it important to you to sort of get your kids involved in activism? I, I mean, I think first of all, kids are, kids are people, but kids are also (gasps) shocking, shocking revelation. (laughs) Right. I know. (laughs) To some people Uh, it is. (laughs) It is. And I, so, you know, just from like a, just from the perspective of being a parent, I, one of the things that frustrates me the most is when people are like, kids are too young to know about racism. Kids are too young to know about politics. They know about it. They're experiencing things all the time. (laughs) And they're either benefiting from these political structures, Mm -hmm. like my kids are. My kids are, you know, middle-class white kids Mm -hmm. um, who benefit from all of these structures or kids are being oppressed by them and the kids who are being oppressed by them already know about it. And so kids who are benefiting from them need to learn how to resist them and see them and critique them. And so from just a parenting perspective, my, my husband and I decided pretty early on, like we were not going to shield our kids from discussions about politics. And there are, there are places that I kind of 
will hold back. And so well, it's about being I, age appropriate, right? Exactly. Like, and giving yeah. them what they're asking for or what they're mm-hmm. ready to understand, you know? Exactly. And so, you know, we answer, we answer any question that they ask, but, yeah. and a lot of times we'll talk, but the things we don't talk about in front of them are things like mass shootings. Like I can't handle yeah. that type of conversation. And I also don't, and yeah, and I also don't know that it needs to be part of their political education right mm-hmm. now to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that, that lots of conversations about power do need to be part of yeah. their of their upbringing. And so, and the other thing is that like from a more optimistic perspective, um, there are all of these really cool activists and people who are doing really inspiring work to change the world. And I want my kids to see that. And I want my kids to see that the world can be changed, that it's something that, you know, laws change sometimes very quickly. Um, Or there's a lot of work that happens on the ground that then filters up pretty quickly to actually change things. And so um, we decided, yeah, and so that's why we decided that we wanted our kids to be involved in activism, because we want them to feel like the world is changeable, and we want them to feel like it's it's part of their jobs to help change the world. I love that. It's sort of like, in what ways have, have your kids been involved in, in activism? My husband and I are both academics, um, <laughs> and so we do a lot of field work. We do a lot of... Um, research in the world or we did before COVID happened. And so when in 2018, we went to Greece for part of the summer to do some research. Mm. Um, and one of the things that we noticed that was really great was that we were in Thessaloniki and mm-hmm. Thessaloniki has been one of the cities in Greece that's received a huge influx of the refugee population. Mm. And so the playground that was near where we were staying had tons of refugee kids. And Mm -hmm. so we couldn't really talk to their parents, but our kids could all play together Mm -hmm. because of language barriers. We can talk to their parents, but our kids could play together because kids don't really need a ton of shared language in order to, you know, create things and imagine things and play tag and things like that. And so because of the way that our kids opened up all of these interesting doors to us to understand what activism was happening in Thessaloniki in these refugee communities. And so it was really cool. Like we wrote a, we wrote a paper about this, how uh, through the, through the playground, we started understanding that the city that we were in, all of this really interesting intersectional activism was happening Mm. um, surrounding this one square that was right near our house. And so Mm -hmm. The first day that we were there, there was a pro-Palestinian protest that was Mm. there. And so we went and we watched that and we talked to the kids a little bit about Israel and Palestine and how that was in a really complicated way related to the refugees and Mm -hmm. the refugee families that they were playing with. Um, And then um, there was a couple of days later, there was this really cool um, LGBTQ protest that was there. Um, that was intersecting with refugee rights, like Mm -hmm. trying to protect uh, queer refugees because they aren't Um, a protected class under a lot of these international agreements. And so these groups in Thessaloniki were provide, were like raising money to like provide healthcare and to make sure that they weren't sort of trapped in these like heteronormative family structures that were, that were supported as refugees. And I was like, I've never, I've never thought about it quite in this way before, but it was also just this like 
very fun environment with like lots of rainbows and unicorns and <laughs> like like people were just like playing in the grass and then there was like this this moment of access to all of these things that were happening and we were able to talk to our kids about you know why why all of these things are issues in the and all of the things we didn't understand about it as people who are outsiders mm, right like all mm-hmm. of the things that this was just our sort of little corner of of understanding and then the last day we were there there was this big hypernationalist march mm-hmm. and they ended up um it ended up getting violent and they put the mm. mayor of Thessaloniki in the hospital wow. and our kids were like it's it's so different he's like these people seem really angry and really scared and then the people yesterday were so happy and joyful. What's the difference, right? And so we were mm. able to talk about sort of emotions and activism and nationalism and how they're really angry because they feel like they were written out of who should be Greek. And so then we had this conversation about belonging. And so mm. this is that's like a very long, long yeah. story about like how you can kind of read activism happening everywhere with our kids. Mm-hmm. And then when we came back, I was doing a bunch of field work for my book. And so Mm -hmm. we were going to lots of protests across the United States. Um, I was trying to especially watch um, protests in red, in red Mm -hmm. states, because I was curious about what what was happening with those. And so, um, you know, the kids came to the March for Our Lives protest, and the kids came to the close the camps protest, and Mm -hmm. they came to, um, you know, a bunch of the protests like that. And so and and Cyrus ended up being really, really concerned about mm. the kids in cages. Like yeah. that hit him. I mean, obviously, like the idea of crossing borders and being separated from your parents was something he's been crossing borders with us his whole life, you know, going yeah. um, on these research trips. And he couldn't, he was horrified that this was happening. And so he, you know, one of the first things that he wrote by himself was this, you know, families belong together sign and so he we you know he would make his own signs when we would go to these protests and it really it's still he still talks about it like it still affects him like he still asks if kids are still in cages and if they've found their parents yet um and so they've they've really just grown up going to going to these protests with us a couple of so like when when we were going to vote in the 2018 midterm elections mm-hmm. uh, Cyrus was like wait a second and he went up to his room and he came down and he was wearing a bow tie and he had his protest sign and I was like oh we're just going to vote like we're not we're not going to protest we're just gonna go and you know we'll fill out our ballots and mm-hmm. it'll be five minutes and he's like mom you never know when a protest is gonna break out I've got to be ready <laughs> <laughs> This is bow tie. Oh my god. I love that so much. <laughs> oh my god. Gotta so be ready. You Bring gotta be sign. ready. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. I it's really interesting yeah. that you mentioned the kids in cages because um earlier we were talking about this as well, about the the last guest uh also like had talked to her daughter who was maybe five around the time about that and like you know she not like she didn't think it was a big deal but she was just you know explaining it kind of matter of factly and she was just like her daughter was just like so traumatized by that idea of just like like you know and again we have to frame it for kids of like the context because then she was like is someone just gonna take me am i gonna go to jail like you know it's like really scary to i mean it is really scary and it's like it's just a terrible 
a terrible thing, but like, you know, I think it's, we have to like kind of give the context for kids too of like, no, this is not going to happen to you. But like, yes, it is happening to other kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, the same thing happened with, with Cyrus where Mm -hmm. we were driving from, um, we were driving to see my parents in Texas and Mm -hmm. we had Google maps on. And Mm -hmm. so it said, now and so like the little google voice was like now crossing the border from oklahoma to texas and Mm -hmm. cyrus was like we just crossed a border we're like yeah we're in texas and he was like really really upset he's like does that mean that they might take us away and we were like no 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 not not that kind of crossing borders like state borders and like and it's so hard for me to it's so hard to explain like yeah because you know borders really are just arbitrary imaginary yeah they're imaginary (laughs) exactly but then it's hard to explain in a way that's not like that doesn't sound like you're justifying why they're taking those other kids away because it's not okay they're taking those other kids away and all of the and so being like oh no it's okay because you know we're american citizens so they're never going to take you away like that sounds like it's okay to take the other kids away and so it's hard to explain why they're safe and other kids aren't safe without sounding like you're justifying the yeah. system that's taking away those other kids. I don't know if I I'm know. allowed to sorry, I swear on your podcast. Oh yeah. It's it's uh, for it's for adults about kids. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it is really tricky. And again, you wanna reassure while still explaining like that the I mean you almost have to get into like the systems of like the systematic mm-hmm. like issues of like which is so much, right? Like but but, you know, it's like explaining, reassuring while still explaining it, like this is going on, but that doesn't make it right. Which kind of gets into my mm-hmm. next question, which is like, how do we explain to kids that like the law isn't always right? Right. Because I feel like we mm-hmm. spend so much time telling kids you have to follow the rules. If a grown up says says something right, like that's that's that. And like, right. If your teacher says something, whoever. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like I think about this a lot, like like how we set these rules and then as adults like we don't follow those rules or like how Mm -hmm. do we teach them like I I think about this a lot when I cross the street right because I tell the kids all the time you have to wait for the little walking person before you can Mm -hmm. cross the street and then sometimes I'll cross the street without the walking person and they'll question me and I'll be like well if an adult is there and they look both ways and no one's coming and they make the decision that it's safe to cross the street then that's Mm -hmm. also okay that's how I explain that right because I'm a New Yorker and I'm not waiting if right. I can go. Uh, but, you know, so it's like, I feel like there's sometimes these caveats of like, we teach kids that everything's black and white. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, actually, so like, you know, how do we how do we teach kids that like, the laws and it's always right? And like, when it is and when is it like, do we still have to listen to it? You know, what is what does any of that mean? Mm-hmm. It's a big question. <laughs> it, it is. It's such a I so the your example of being a New Yorker and crossing the street. <laughs> so I'm from I'm from Queens originally, and so I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yep. <laughs> and I lived in Germany for a while. Oh my and, gosh! Um, they, they pay such attention. Oh my gosh! It's and and it's so stressful. And so yeah. you'll be standing there, and there's just not a car for miles. And so one day I was like, I can't stand here anymore. And there were no cars coming, and I crossed the street, and this woman literally told her kid, "Don't be like that lady when you grow up." About <laughs> That is so funny. When I was living, I was living in Italy for a semester. I studied in Italy and uh, in Florence. And we would always know, we had a joke where like, we would always know the German tourists because they were the only people that would pay attention to the mm-hmm. Stoffelic. Yeah. Yep. And I have like, one of my best friends is is German. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Sebastian, just cross the street. And he's like, I can't. Like he just. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. But, 
so in so in our family that this probably isn't too surprising but um we don't have a ton of rules like mm-hmm. we talk a lot about um like boundaries and guidelines mm-hmm. and things like that and so most of the things that are are negotiable sometimes they're more negotiable than mm-hmm. i would like and i wish they would just <laughs> do what i tell them to do um but so you know we have like my my seven-year-old it really wants to explore further by himself right now and so we're mm-hmm. constantly like talking and negotiating about boundaries like which which streets is it can, is it okay for him to cross right now by himself which streets aren't and then we talk just tons about why like we have a really really busy street that isn't protected yeah to one side of us and so he can't cross that street by himself and we talk about how we don't even cross that street on, on foot by ourselves but then there are other streets that have like you know, stop signs. And those are super safe for him to cross by himself. And so, you know, I, we spent a lot of time on the why of Mm. the rules and, um, and what makes sense and what doesn't and how, how you can change things. And then um, in terms of, and so he gets really frustrated this year, he's being, we're we're homeschooling him because Mm -hmm. of COVID, but he was, you know, hopefully he'll eventually go back to school. And one of the reasons he doesn't want to go back to school is he's like, there are all of these rules and they don't make sense to me. And I've never been able to say to him, you need to follow the rules no matter what, because I think that a lot of the reason rules exist like that in public schools is to discipline our kids, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that Foucault and other people write about. And I don't want to be part of that. But I also have a lot of like, pick your battle conversations with him. Like, you know, if, and then, you know, also like, you know, if you break that rule and then everybody else in the class thinks it's okay, then that's a really hard environment for your teacher to think, to, to teach in. Mm-hmm. So like lots of conversations about empathy and, and things like that, but it's hard. And then in terms of, in terms of the law, like I spent, I haven't had as many of these conversations with my kids yet because they don't mm-hmm. really have a good sense of what laws are yeah. I don't think but with older kids and when when I'm teaching I have lots of conversations really early on about um about how the difference between what is legal and what is just and how oftentimes laws are in fact used in order to enforce mm. an unjust system like and so you know we talk about like a Venn diagram of, you know, what is, where do things that are like legal and just overlap? Like there are lots of things that, you know, Mm -hmm. are both just and legal. And then there are things that are illegal that are just. Mm -hmm. And then there are lots of things that have been just in the past that are illegal. It's easier if you see this instead of on a podcast, (laughs) but we talk about like how slavery and segregation. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking about. All of those were laws Mm -hmm. that were terribly unjust systems. And then, you know, people who protested those things oftentimes broke the law and those decisions to protest were deeply just decisions. Yeah. And, and eventually you had to break those laws in order to put enough pressure on the system to change the laws to yeah. make the system more just. And so I think that the quicker that you can sort of de- decouple in people's minds the idea that what is, what is legal is always just is yeah. the better because it's not true. It's never true no. throughout history. No, absolutely. 
And it also makes me think of like even, you know, like those lists of like silly laws that are like you can't mm-hmm. view a moose from an airplane <laughs> chewing right. bubble gum in Nova Scotia or whatever that are like real laws. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I think about things like that, too, where it's just like also like as a silly example for a kid to be like, you know, that's a law. Do you think that that like should that be a rule? Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and also, like, I think it's about it comes down to like trusting your gut, too, and teaching kids how to like trust their instincts of like, does that feel right to you? that Mm -hmm. you know right black people aren't allowed to drink from the same water fountain as white people like does that feel like a right you know what i mean like and i think often it comes to just like if it doesn't feel right it's probably (laughs) sorry i'm laughing because it reminds me of french uh this is literally how i speak i well i'm in montreal so my Mm -hmm. my wife's first language is french and so i learned uh or tried attempted to learn french when i came here i can like kind of get around a conversation but that's how i always joke that's how i get around in french i'm just like it doesn't follow the rule, but it feels right. Mm-hmm. Which is like, I'm like, it feels like it sounds right, even <laughs> though it's ignoring the rule. That's and that's how I get by in French. And yeah. that's kind of how I feel like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, it's not the rule, but it just doesn't feel right for me to follow the rule right now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think like honing, I think a lot of times also like we kind of teach kids to ignore kind of their like bodily signals and things like, yeah. you know, you're hungry. Well, too bad. It's not dinner time or whatever, like right. whatever it is. And I think it's important to teach kids to hone in on those signals and to uh, to understand like what it feels like in your body when something doesn't feel right, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we uh, kind of close up today, I'm wondering if you have any uh, resources or it could be for kids or adults, whether it's children's books or websites or whatever, anything you can think of about this topic? For littler kids, I really love the book A is for Activist. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids have always really liked that book. And we also have um, the other books that are on on hot rotation in our house right now are a book called Baby Feminist. Um, I love that book. <laughs> with, and uh, we and we've been reading Love Makes a Family a lot. And yeah. I don't know it. So we really like those books. I was trying to think for, unfortunately, I think that there isn't a ton of stuff that teaches parents how to parent activist kids yet. Um, I really like the blog Renegade Mothering, which Mm. isn't specifically about activist kids, but I think it has great insights about how to like, like sort of unapologetically parent your kids Mm -hmm. in you know, weird spaces and through yeah. tough things and conversations. So I love that. Um, I think those are worth are worth checking yeah. out. There's also a great. I'm. You're probably familiar with this book. But for older kids, something happened in our town. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a really really good one about like police brutality and injustice in in those ways. Something uh, happened in our town is a great one to talk about police brutality, which is such a mm-hmm. hard, yeah, important topic to talk to kids about right now. Yeah. And there's also a great kids book called The Children's March, um, which oh, I think I've heard of this one, but never gotten my hands on it. It's the pictures are beautiful. And I love it because it's focused on children's activism. Mm. You know, it's literally about the children marching during the civil rights movement. Um, oh, oh, sorry. It's called let it's called Let the Children March. Yes. Uh, and so we read that one a lot and talked about how brave those kids were and how the kids were really doing their part to change the world. And so we also like the, the like rebel, the rebel girls stories. Yeah. Um, Although I wish, I wish that they were, it was less gendered. Um, You know, like I wish it was about like badass kids instead of rebel girls, but. 
Well, there's, um, you know, there's one, and I can't, uh, I can't vouch for it because I bought it but didn't read it yet. But I've heard good things. Uh, there's one called Kid Activists that are oh, that not necessarily about. Uh, it's kind of a little misleading because it's not necessarily about children activists, but it's about activists and it's, it's called it's kid activists, true tales of childhood from champions of change. So like it talks about like mm-hmm. Harvey milk, for example, but like a little bit about like mm-hmm. what his childhood was like and like how that led him to do the work that he did and, and stuff like that. And like Malala is also in here, Emma Watson, Helen Keller. So there are people who were oh, children. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a cool book. And there, and there's illustrations, which is fun. It's kind of like a, a it reminds me of like the rebel rebel girls where like you could probably read it to your kids but there are it's maybe like i don't know i'm looking like one one story is like maybe five pages mm-hmm. so you could maybe read it to an older kid um but in chunks like maybe it's a bedtime story or that kind of thing uh, the other thing i was gonna say um sort of along the lines of love makes mm-hmm. a family there we go <laughs> there's another book that I really like called family is it's by clever publishing. And uh, it's, it's a, it's more of like some families are like this and some families are like that and less incidental, Mm -hmm. like the, um, like the love makes a family, but I really like it because it includes foster families. It includes uh, blended families. It includes, and what we were talking about earlier, uh, one of includes adoption and it also includes queer families. And one of the things that I really liked that we were talking about earlier is one of them is like, my friends are my family. And I was like, I love that that includes like chosen Mm -hmm. family, which I think almost like full circle from what we were talking about in the beginning, the idea that like your friends can be your family and like you can choose who Mm -hmm. you want to be in your family. It doesn't necessarily like in this case, it was like, you know, their parents and their friends or their sibling and their friends or whatever. But it was like a combination. It's not like you need to totally exile everyone in your life and be like, I'm starting a new family. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, but I loved that idea. And I really I really liked that that book as well. Uh, it's sort yeah. of like board booky age. But anyway, the last thing I have to ask is just, uh, do you have any, I mean, you already talked about your book a little bit, but is there a place where we can find out information about it? Or do you have um, a website or generally, if you want to be found on the internet, which yeah. I'm assuming you do since you're writing a book, uh, where where can people find you? Actually, in May, I'm going to launch a newsletter where I mm-hmm. talk about activism and parenting and oh, cool. all this kind of stuff. And so that's going to be my, my summer project because I... I've been really excited about this lately and realized that uh, maybe other people like me are trying to navigate this space. And, <laughs> um, and so people can uh, can find out more about it or sign up at everydayactivism.com, which oh, is awesome. where my book will also, um, I'll have updates about when the book is coming out. And then I also have a few exciting projects that I'm going to start working on about raising activist kids that I'll promote from there as well and so everydayactivism.com i love that name it's a catchy name (laughs) i'm always (laughs) i'm always like impressed because i'm terrible at coming up with the names for things uh and i'm always doing things that need names um Mm -hmm. so whenever there's a good name i'm like "Ooh, good job that's a hard that's hard to do is that the best place is there a social media or anything or is that the best place to get that information that's probably the best place and then i'm also on twitter at kelly a clancy so k-e-l-l-y-a C-L-A-N-C-Y. So people okay. can find me there as well, where I mostly just retweet things <laughs> making me <laughs> mad at the time. I know. My um, <laughs> listeners will know this, but my uh, social media presence is very indicative of like what I'm the best at. So like I have the most followers on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> and then I have like maybe, let's say, 2,000 followers on Facebook. Wow, that's a and lot. Then, which, yeah, it's like a decent, or like 1,500. It's like a decent amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have, let's say on Instagram, it's like maybe five or 600, which is like, again, a decent amount of people. And then mm-hmm. on Twitter, it's like 
a hundred or something. Like I have like no, I'm like I don't know how to do Twitter. I don't get Twitter. I think it's stupid. You're just like talking to the void. Like I don't like it. Um, <laughs> so my Twitter is just like here's the episode. I'm like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm like the most active on Facebook for sure because I get how it yeah. works. Like I grew up. I'm like that mm-hmm. that age where I like grew up with Facebook. Like I've had a Facebook basically since I was out, and I get how it works. Mm-hmm. Twitter, I'm just like I don't get it. I'm like an old man. Yeah. I'm like I don't know how this works. Um, <laughs> my I wife had to like set it up for me (laughs) my facebook at this point is like all of my great aunts and i'm like i don't want like uh and so yeah it's it's just feels like it's gotten colonized by everybody in my life that got retired um and so So i hide out in these like these these groups and then otherwise <laughs> on Facebook. Oh my gosh, so funny. So, uh, yeah. well anyway, thank you so much for being here. Um it's really well, been a pleasure. So and I'm excited to see uh what you have coming up. Thank you. Thanks yeah. so much. I can't wait to listen to the episode and see the other exciting things that happen with the podcast. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for doing this. Thanks for doing this work about how to raise kids in this complicated time. Yeah, right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, stay rad. Hi, I'm Anthony Giorgio, host and producer of Queer Teen Podcast. Queer Teen Podcast encourages the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. Listen, learn, and love as you get to know the next queer youth leaders of the world. Queer Teen Podcast celebrates, elevates, and narrates how the LGBTQ plus community uses our voices to tell our stories. You can find Queer Teen Podcasts on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And please, please, please subscribe today. And don't forget to listen, learn, and love. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.